Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where on Sundays we discuss a chapter in this book titled Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This is volume one of the book series, The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. Today we're in chapter 17, which is titled Eliminating Fears, Are You Really Scared? This is how you understand how to actually eliminate specific fears. Because up to this point in the group learning program, I've shared with you what's causing these discontent feelings. And now we're going to specifically go into discussing fears because this is something that a lot of people have, whether it's fear of spiders or fear of heights or fear of being poor or homeless or fear of death. This is something that a lot of people might have. And by the time somebody moves to enlightenment, they would have eliminated all their fears, including any fear of death. An enlightened being isn't going to have any fears whatsoever, including the fear of death. So welcome. I'm really pleased that you're here. I'm going to be sharing some different things with you today. If you've been in this group learning program for any length of time, even in the last two or three weeks, then you've learned a bit about the three universal truths and the four noble truths with me. And I never know who's going to be in a specific class or not. So in order to help you understand how to eliminate fears, it's important to at least review the three universal truths and the four noble truths. And if you've learned these with me multiple times already, it's okay. You can just hear a little bit of a summary as I go through. And for those of you guys, if you've never studied the three universal truths or four noble truths with me today i'm just going to go through it very briefly and understand that normally i would just really take my time and walk through this really really thoroughly with you and that's what you would need if you've never learned this with me you're going to need to study it in the book which is chapter four you're going to need to attend those classes or listen to the recordings because the four noble truths is where you get this breakthrough to understanding what's causing the discontent feelings but because i never know who's going to be in class i can't just jump in and teach you how to eliminate fears if people don't understand the four noble truths so i'm going to spend a little bit of time explaining the three universal truths and the four noble truths to be able to kind of ensure that everybody's on the same page and for those of you guys that have learned this with me before this is a great refresher and a great little review for you because you really can't learn these particular teachings enough they're very basic very fundamental teachings that are just so utterly important for your development on the path to enlightenment so I'm going to just review this and then see if there's any questions so Remember with the teachings of the Buddha, you should never believe anything about his teachings. You should be learning, reflecting, and practicing. So as I'm sharing the three universal truths and four noble truths with you, it's important to not believe them, but you learn them, you reflect to independently verify, and then you practice. 
We call them truths because the Buddha knew that they were truth. I know that they're truth and other people know that they're truth. But in order for you to benefit from these teachings, you need to understand that they're truth. And this is where you spend time to diligently examine the teachings and be able to develop your wisdom. And that's what's going to ultimately lead to your improved condition of mind and your improved condition of your life because you'll have the wisdom of these natural laws of existence. It's a real struggle to exist in a world that you don't understand. And if we don't understand the natural laws of existence, lacking that wisdom will make unwise decisions that lead to unwholesome results. So by gaining the wisdom of these natural laws, you can then make wise decisions that lead to wholesome results. And part of that building up of your foundation is learning these three universal truths and the four noble truths. The first universal truth is called the universal truth of impermanence. This is where you understand that things are constantly changing and there's not this steady, constant, fixed state. That conditioned objects, they arise, they change, and they fade away. There are such things as unconditioned objects. Those don't arise, they don't change, and they don't fade away. They are permanent. And enlightenment itself is an unconditioned object in the natural laws of existence. What the Buddha taught are unconditioned objects. This is why his teachings are just as applicable today as they were 2,500 years ago because he described these natural laws. Now, when people wrote them down and people's memory of those teachings, that's impermanent. And that's why in some places in the world, they're not necessarily practicing based on what the Buddha taught. But that's the conditioned object, is the book as a conditioned object. But the teachings themselves, the natural laws of existence, those are actually unconditioned objects. They are permanent, that the same exact natural laws that existed during the Buddha's lifetime are the same ones that exist now. So that's why his teachings are timeless. They apply during his lifetime and they even apply now. But all these other things around you, these are conditioned objects. They arise, they change, and they fade away. So this electronic device that you're listening to me on, this is an impermanent object. It's a conditioned object. It arose, it changes, and it fades away. So like this computer that I'm using, at one time it was other bits and pieces of things. And it arose, people put it together in this configuration. And it arose as a computer. And now over time it changes. That the screen might change in terms of getting a little dirty, or there might be a scratch or some discoloring here and there. And then over time it will fade away and it will no longer be a computer anymore. This is a conditioned object. It arises, changes, and fades away. Your body is a conditioned object. It's not steady, constant, and fixed. It's always changing. Or the weather, that's a conditioned object. Or like I was sharing with the people in Zoom before we got started that, hey, there's a rainstorm here. I might lose the internet. The internet is a conditioned object. It arises, it changes, and it fades away. It's not permanent. So now looking around the world, you can see the truth for yourself through independent verification that yes, all these objects around you are impermanent. They're conditioned objects. Then there's the universal truth of discontentedness. This is helping you to understand the unenlightened mind, that there's three feelings, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant. The pleasant feelings are things like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria. And then there's painful feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety. 
These are very painful to experience. And then there's neither painful nor pleasant, which are things that I put boredom and loneliness in there, but some people say that's quite painful for them. So you could put that into the painful category. But shyness is a good example of this, that it's not painful, it's not pleasant. It's neither painful nor pleasant. Or if somebody you don't know came and sat like really, really close to you and your body was touching their body, you would probably say it's not painful, it's not pleasant, it's kind of uncomfortable. So these are the three feelings that the unenlightened mind is experiencing. And these are conditioned feelings. It's conditioned on some object. So you might be happy that it's sunny outside, but then when now that condition changes, that happiness isn't permanent because it's a conditioned feeling. It's based on some condition like the sun. And since the sun is not permanent, your happiness isn't permanent. So now when it rains, now you're sad or you're frustrated or you're irritated or annoyed. These are conditioned feelings and what the unenlightened mind is experiencing. But the enlightened mind is beyond this up and down and up and down. It's just continuously on an ongoing basis, permanently experiencing peace, calm, serenity, contentedness, and joy. You might even describe it as unconditioned happiness, where in the unenlightened mind, there needs to be this condition met and this condition met and this condition met and this condition met and this condition met. And then someone might say, well, I'm happy. But the problem is that those conditions can't be met permanently because they're conditioned objects. And if you base your inner feelings on that, then that's what is going to lead to your mind going up and down and up and down. But an enlightened being, they can remain happy and joyful no matter what's happening. If it's sunny outside, they were already happy and joyful before the sun was ever out. And then when it rains, they're still happy. They can choose to do anything that they like. They're not basing their inner feelings on the weather or what their bank account balance is or whether somebody calls them or not. Sometimes the mind is attached to a particular person. And if this person calls me, I will be happy. And if they don't call me, I will be sad or frustrated. Or if this person comes to see me, I will be happy. But if they don't come to see me, I will be angry or frustrated. This is what the unenlightened mind is experiencing. But the enlightened mind is beyond all of that. It doesn't have conditioned feelings. Then there's the universal truth of non-self, which is helping you to have the solution for one of the pollutions that the Buddha discovered, which is called personal existence view. This pollution of personal existence view is hindering the mind from being able to experience enlightenment. There's actually 10 individual fetters or 10 taints or 10 pollutions of mind that the Buddha discovers. And he gives you the solutions to these as part of his teachings. So this fetter or taint or pollution of personal existence view, this is where the unenlightened mind thinks that the body or the mind is you. And it's clinging and holding on to the self-image or the self-identity, thinking that this is who you are. And now if you have agreeable contact about the self-image, you might get happy or excited or elated. Or if you hear something degrading or disparaging about your self-image, then you'll maybe get frustrated or angry or irritated. And this is because the mind's clinging to the self-image or the body, thinking that this is who you are. Or the mind might be clinging to the self-identity that's in the mind. If you think that I am American, or I am Canadian, or I am a doctor, 
or I am a IT professional, or I am a construction worker, or I am an insurance adjuster, right? All these different I am's, I am's that can be in the mind, or I am a mom, or I am a dad, or I am a boyfriend, or I am a girlfriend. Lots of I am's that the mind can hold on to. And now if we hear something agreeable about our nationality, our ethnicity, our job, or any of these other things that the mind might be having identity to, then you might get those pleasant feelings, those conditional feelings. But then if you hear something degrading and disparaging about your nationality, your ethnicity, maybe your sexual orientation or something like this, if you hear something degrading, then you'll experience these painful feelings. And this is because the mind's clinging, thinking that this self-image and the self-identity is who you are as a person. And the solution to that is to realize non-self that there is no self, that the mind is gonna grasp for this self, thinking that this is who you are, but the Buddha shares that this is delusion, this is confusion, this is misunderstanding, this is the unknowing of true reality. So the more you understand what the universal truth of non-self is and how to practice it, you can ultimately get to a point where your mind's not shaken up. If somebody says something agreeable or disagreeable about your self-image or your self-identity, and then when you see a wrinkle or you see a gray hair or you're losing your hair, you won't feel shaken up by that. But if you think that this is who you are and now your self-image is affected by that gray hair or by balding or by getting a little bit of fat or a wrinkle, now you might be shaken up if you think that this body is who you are, you're clinging to a permanent self because there is no permanent self. It can get so challenging for some folks that they feel like they have to go on a journey to find themselves, right? I have to find myself. I don't know who I am anymore. And some people come here to Thailand to try to find themselves, but they never truly find themselves because there is no self. It doesn't exist. A person might find new hobbies or a new job or new activities or new friends, but none of that is you. It's not who you are. But someone might go on this search to try to find themselves and never actually find it but they might think that they have and for a period of time maybe three years five years ten years they feel secure that they think they found themselves but then as everything starts changing again they're right back in the same problem that they don't know who they are and this is because the mind keeps grasping for an identity or an image and trying to hold on to it so when you understand the universal truth of non-self, that there is no self, and you can independently verify this, there's ways to independently verify that there is no self, then your mind can be more peaceful and joyful because you're no longer going to be shaken up related to this personal existence view or this pollution or fetter. Are there any questions here on the three universal truths? You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here on this, so let's just go into a brief little review of the Four Noble Truths, and then I will help you to understand how to eliminate fears. And we'll actually talk about some different fears if you guys would like to share some of your fears, and we can use those as examples in the class. So here it's important to understand the Four Noble Truths to understand the definition of craving, desire, attachment, because this is something that is a building block to help you be able to understand the Four Noble Truths. 
the craving desire attachment or expectations or wants or holding or grasping or clinging this is a mental longing for something with a strong eagerness the chasing after the objects of your affection or maybe pulling towards the direction of the objects of your affection some people say they feel like they're being pushed where the mind thinks that that next new shiny object waiting around the corner is going to provide some lasting satisfaction so the mind chases and chases and chases it might be that new job or a raise or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a new car or a new pair of shoes or any number of things that the mind can chase after the mind just chases and chases and chases and chases the craving desire attachment isn't the object itself it's inside the mind it's the mental longing and strong eagerness so if you've ever been in the mall and you saw like a brand new pair of shoes or a new cell phone or a new computer or a new video game or a new car and you're just like oh i gotta have that i just want that so bad that's the craving desire attachment the longing and yearning for this particular object but not the object itself because you can have a car and not be attached to it you can have a phone or a computer or a pair of shoes or a boyfriend a girlfriend a husband a wife a child you can have all of these things and not be attached to it but oftentimes when the mind is untrained it will be attached to these things it'll have craving desire attachment and this is a building block to help you understand the four noble truths so the first noble truth is explaining to you the problem in the unenlightened mind that everyone that is unenlightened will experience discontentedness those conditioned feelings those pleasant feelings painful feelings neither painful nor pleasant based on some condition the enlightened mind as i've mentioned is beyond this that it's experiencing unconditioned mental qualities and you can even think of it as unconditioned happiness that nothing has to have a condition there's no expectation of this has to happen in order for me to be happy and an enlightened being is just going to always be happy always joyful always be in a good mood because they've uprooted the pollution out of the mind and the mind's been well trained to no longer base its inner feelings on some condition but in the unenlightened state everyone that is unenlightened will experience these discontent feelings that if mom's coming over for the holidays you might get really excited yay mom's coming but then she calls you a couple of hours before and says ah, i can't come sorry i have something else to do and now maybe people are frustrated or angry or sad or any number of these different things that the mind is basing its inner feelings on and that's what the unenlightened mind is doing but the second noble truth is helping you to understand why this is occurring it's helping you to understand the cause so the first noble truth is explaining the problem the second noble truth is explaining the cause of that problem which is discontentedness is caused by our own cravings desires attachments because the mind wants everything to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent so i'll say that a few times and give you some examples the discontentedness those conditioned feelings pleasant painful neither painful nor pleasant is caused by the cravings desires attachments the mental longing and strong eagerness chasing after the objects of your affection and if you get what you want you get pleasant feelings and that's a conditioned feeling 
But now if you don't get what you want, now you get painful feelings. And this is because the mind's craving permanence. It's wanting things to permanently be comfortable, permanently be pleasing. So if you get a brand new car and you feel all these pleasant feelings like, wow, I got this new sports car. My friends are going to know that I'm accomplished and I'm successful. I've got this red sports car with a convertible. I'm going to cruise around the neighborhood and show off my new car to everybody. All these pleasant feelings. And now you park it at a store and you come out and there's a scratch on it. And now you might be frustrated or irritated. This is because the mind's craving permanence. It's wanting this car to be permanently beautiful when that's impossible. That this car is inevitably going to fade away because it arose it's going to change and it's going to fade away this car is impermanent it was always impermanent but the mind's craving for it to be permanently beautiful so it's not the scratch or the person who caused the scratch that is causing the anger or frustration to arise it's the craving desire attachment the mind is longing yearning for permanence the mind in the unenlightened state doesn't understand the universal truth of impermanence so because of its cravings and wanting things to be permanent now it will experience frustration or anger when it's confronted with impermanence because a way to say that the mind is craving permanence another way to say that is the mind does not like change in the unenlightened state it does not like impermanence because it doesn't understand it doesn't have the wisdom of the universal truth of impermanence and this is why at a funeral people might grieve or be very sad at a funeral because the mind's craving for grandma or grandpa to be permanent or mom or dad or brothers and sisters or friends the mind is craving for this person to be permanent and now when you're confronted with the impermanence of their death if the mind's craving for them to be permanent now the mind will grieve or it'll be sad and the same thing happens at weddings when brothers and sisters go off in the world with a new partner then mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or brothers and sisters might cry if they're attached to this person because now they're going off into the world and the mind's confronted with this impermanence that they aren't permanent and they were never permanent but the unenlightened mind didn't understand that so it built this attachment where it's holding on craving permanence and the same thing happens if parents take their kids away to college sometimes if there's attachment a parent might cry or they might be upset when their children go away to college right even though this is what they've been building to for 18 years is for their child to go away perhaps to get an education in college but now when they're going away off into the world a parent might grieve and this is because of the longing yearning the craving the holding on the wanting this to be permanent and it's the same thing in your relationships if you had a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband and wife if you guys split then this is the mind being discontent if there's any loneliness or boredom or frustration or anger or sadness due to the craving due to the mental longing and strong eagerness wanting this relationship to be permanent because when you first get together and you're having all that affection and there's text messages and they might be calling you and checking in on you they might be inviting you to dinner or to the movies or something like this there may even be intimate contact at some point and then this is where the mind's getting all its pleasant feelings based on the condition of I have a, somebody who's interested in me, I have a partner, I have a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, that's the condition. But now when the condition changes 
and now the relationship ends, this is where the anger and frustration and loneliness and boredom comes in because the mind's craving permanence. It has that mental longing and strong eagerness. So this is the second noble truth, and you can independently verify everything that I'm sharing with you. And particularly this one, you can look at situations where you've been frustrated or angry or irritated, and you can look at how your own mind is causing these discontent feelings. Because what the second noble truth is helping you to see is that all feelings that are being experienced in the mind, it's because of the mind itself. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we will blame other people for our discontentedness. We will think that other people are causing us to be discontent. And we will either push that person away, we will become bitter and harsh and aggressive towards that person, or we might put our expectations or our desires on that person and trying to convince them to do things our way. But this is all just the mind having craving, desire, attachment. I lost my Zoom here. For all of you guys that are on live stream, I'm going to try to get back into Zoom and see if I can log back in. Okay, we're back in. So we've got some impermanence there just to independently verify that, yes, impermanence is 100% the truth. We had some impermanence here with Zoom, so now it looks like I'm back in Zoom. So as I was just sharing is that when there's craving, desire, attachment, the mind oftentimes is blaming other people and looking for other people to blame. And oftentimes we push people away. We become bitter and harsh and aggressive if the mind is attributing those painful feelings to somebody else. Or you might put your expectations on this other person and try to convince them to do things your way. And this is the unenlightened mind misunderstanding what the true problem is. It's having wrong view. That the unenlightened mind thinks that something external is causing your painful feelings. So this is why we, in the unenlightened state, will push someone away. That's called aversion. Or you become bitter and harsh and aggressive. You become unskillful with your conduct. And you might feel justified in your anger, in your aggression towards this person. Because you might think that they're causing your painful feelings. Or you might put your expectations or your wants on this person, thinking that that's going to fix the problem if you can just get them to do things your way. But what the second noble truth is helping you to understand is your mind's causing this itself and you can eliminate it by the third noble truth is that if you understand the second noble truth that craving desire attachment is causing the discontentedness then the third noble truth is explaining the elimination of discontentedness as possible by eliminating cravings desires attachments that mental longing and strong eagerness if you can eliminate those from the mind then you can eliminate your discontentedness those pleasant feelings that are conditional those painful feelings and neither painful nor pleasant you can get to the point where the mind's permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Okay, it looks like I lost Zoom again. Apologize to those of you guys on the live stream. Just need to get logged back in here. All right, I apologize to all of you guys in Zoom. Looks like uh, my Zoom's just crashing every once in a while, so perhaps it will stay steady and consistent here for a little bit, but just got some impermanence here. So I was moving into the third noble truth and explaining that discontentedness, the elimination of that is possible through eliminating the cravings, desires, attachments. And we use breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to generally train the mind to let go. 
Because with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're arising that mindfulness or awareness of mind. You're arising concentration by staying focused on the breath. So you can have focus and clarity of mind and concentration. And you're training the mind to easily let go. You're not trying to eliminate thoughts and breathing mindfulness meditation. You're training the mind to easily let go. So maybe 20, 30, 100 times in your meditation, you're having to let go and let go and let go and keep coming back to the breath. Because with craving, desire, attachment, the mind's going to hold on and it's not going to easily let go because it's not trained to let go. So that's what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to easily let go so that in daily life where you see discontentedness arising in the mind, you can then easily let go. And it takes time to build up the training of the mind to be able to do that. You can't just do that the first week or the first month. And some of these cravings, desires, attachments are so deeply rooted, it takes a long-term amount of training to really be able to build up the ability for the mind to let go. And then the same thing with the generosity where you're giving and you're sharing. This is training the mind to let go because with the mind of craving, desire, attachment, the mind tends to be fairly selfish and it holds on to things very tightly. So when you're sharing your time, effort, energy, and resources, this is helping you to be able to let go and trains the mind to let go so that now you can have this generalized training of breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to generally be training the mind to let go. And I've provided some other teachings in this program to be able to help you to understand how to more directly train the mind to let go of cravings, desires, attachments. And then the Buddha shares in the fourth noble truth that the path to eliminating discontentedness is the eightfold path. The Four Noble Truths gives you this window into the mind and penetrates to help you see that it's craving, desire, attachment that is causing the discontent feelings. But as you continue on in your journey with these teachings, you start learning about craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. You start learning about the six sense bases, the five aggregates. You start learning about the 10 fetters and a lot of other things that you need to learn in this group learning program, you're getting a really strong foundation of the teachings. And then there's other teachings for you to learn beyond this. But just to get started, a person will normally start learning with the Eightfold Path and learning the eight individual steps that a person is bringing into their life practice and dialing these in closer and closer. The Four Noble Truths is helping you establish right view, where your right view is that your mind is causing its own discontent feelings. It's craving desire attachments that are causing that. And in order for you to transform your mind, you need to do that inner work and that inner training. That it's not about going out into the world and training others to do things a certain way. It's about your own mind. Because with wrong view, someone might attempt to go out into the world and train other people to do things your way, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. But it actually doesn't. And with right view, now that if you understand that your mind is having discontentedness because of its own cravings, desires, attachments, and certain pollutions that are in there, now you can build up your practice of all these other steps. And throughout this program and other courses and retreats that I teach, I teach all of these individual steps using the words of the Buddha and then help you to learn how to dial this in closer and closer. And sometimes students will reach out for personal guidance with posting in Facebook or sending me a private message, asking questions in class or scheduling personal guidance sessions. And that's how you learn the general teachings in the books and in the classes and things like this. But then you need to bring it into your personal life 
and talk to the teacher about how to apply certain facets of this eightfold path into your life in specific topic areas and specific situations. And it's organized into these three sections of wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. The moral conduct is in there because as long as you're causing harm through your speech or actions or livelihood, and you're putting that harm out into the world, the harm is going to come back to you. So I don't look at the teachings of the Buddha as rules or commandments or anything like that. Instead, what he's doing is he's sharing with you the cause and effect or the action and result. And if we speak, for example, with lies or we're slanderous or we're speaking harshly or we're using frivolous speech like idle chatter, then we're putting harm out into the world and this harm is going to come back to us. And he's sharing with you in right speech, right action, and right livelihood how to purify your moral conduct so you're no longer putting harm out into the world and this harm isn't coming back to you. So by you cleaning up your moral conduct, then you'll be more able to work on the mental discipline as well. But in reality, you're working on all eight of these at the same time. You're not mastering one before you move on to the other. You can almost think of it like a speaker system. If you had speakers and you had these eight dials, and if you dial this in really, really closely, you'll get this better and better sound out of the speakers. Your mind is the same way that as you dial this in closer and closer, you'll get better performance out of your mind. It'll be more focused, concentrated, having more clarity, deeper memory, your personal professional relationships will blossom. You will see the mind will be peaceful and joyful. It'll be uplifted. You'll see less and less of bad moods and you'll see that you're more and more in a good mood. And getting in touch with each one of these steps and dialing it in closer and closer is what's going to do that for you. So whether it's the books or the classes or the courses or retreats or the videos, the podcast, if I'm talking to you personally and you're asking me questions, I'm helping you to dial this in and be able to see more and more clearly what these natural laws are so that you understand this path to enlightenment being the Eightfold Path. So let me pause here and see if there's any questions whatsoever about anything that I've covered so far as just this little recap over the last 30 minutes or so. I normally would have taken probably an hour, hour and a half, almost two hours to really describe this thoroughly. But this was just a little recap for those of you guys that needed a refresher and anybody who hasn't studied this with me before, you kind of need a little bit of background before we talk about eliminating fears. If you have a question, you can either put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Okay, it looks like we might have a question here coming in on YouTube. It says, Teacher David appears to be experiencing some impermanence with this internet connection. He mentioned earlier there were storms in the area. We will return as soon as possible. Okay, thank you for your patience. So yeah, it looks like maybe at my connection to YouTube, it was also falling out as well. It looks like I'm still live streaming. I'm not sure which errand that is. I have a couple different errands that study with me, but thank you for posting that errand. All right, so it doesn't look like we're having any questions, but it looks like we're still live streaming. I see a bunch of people there in YouTube and in Facebook as well. All right, so since we don't have any questions, let's move on to talking about fears. The fears that a unenlightened mind is experiencing, this is discontentedness. The fear is just a painful feeling, right? So you already understand from the Four Noble Truths, 
what's causing the fear. So if I asked you what's causing fear, what is the cause of fear? What your mind should be thinking is craving, desire, attachment. There's some craving, there's some longing, there's something that the mind wants that it wants something to be permanent. And now say for example, if the mind is afraid of spiders, and now what the mind's craving is it's craving to never see a spider. It's craving permanence. I don't ever want to see a spider. I permanently do not want to see a spider. And now when you see a spider, ah, there's all this fear, right? There's this fear that comes up in the mind. I see a spider. And that's because of the impermanence. The mind is trying to push these spiders out of your life, thinking that that solves the problem. And it doesn't because the craving is still in the mind. You can't go through life with permanently never seeing a spider. It's just not going to be possible. You're going to see a spider at some point. So if your mind has a craving to never see spiders, and then when you see a spider, you get fearful, this is because of the craving desire attachment. The mind's craving permanence. It never wants to see a spider. That's the craving. And the mind tries to push this out of your life thinking that that's going to solve the problem. But because of impermanence, it doesn't solve the problem. You're going to see that spider. Or you might be afraid of heights where you don't want to go up high and you're craving to be on the ground floor. And now you're going through different buildings and doing different things and you get into an elevator and you think you're going from the first floor to the second floor, but maybe the elevator malfunctions and it takes you all the way up to the 10th floor, right? Or all the way up to the 30th floor. Maybe it's a elevator with a clear glass and you can see yourself going up and now you're scared, right? This is the mind craving to be on the ground floor or the second floor. And now when you're experiencing this going all the way up to the 10th floor, the 30th floor, you can't control this. So it's the craving, desire, attachment that's arising that fear in the mind. And there's any number of fears, even the fear of death, where a mind might be craving to be in this world permanently, or the mind might be craving to never experience pain or the mind might be craving to hold on to your relationships or your material possessions or something like this. So now when you think about death, maybe you're afraid of death because you don't want to let go of all of this stuff. Or maybe you're afraid of the unknown. You don't know what's next and that can cause fear in the mind. So there can be any number of different fears that I'll invite you guys to share if you like. But let me share with you guys about how you can eliminate these fears. So as I mentioned, in the third noble truth, you understand that to eliminate discontentedness, you need to eliminate cravings, desires, attachments. And that's why you have the breathing mindfulness meditation and the generosity is ongoing, consistent training. You would like to be doing meditation two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more. You'd like to build up to that. And sometimes it takes six months, a year, two years even to build up to that two or three sessions, 30 minutes or more. I know when I first started, I even found one minute or even three minutes or five minutes was really challenging for me. My mind was just bombarded with thoughts. But over time, I gradually worked at it and was able to build up my practice. If you're building up your meditation practice and you have the option of doing one meditation for 30 minutes or two meditations for 15 minutes, go for the frequency. Your frequency is more important than the duration. So if you can get two meditations in for 10 or 15 minutes, great. And then just work on building that up to more and more where you're 
gradually building up to 30 minutes. But if you're starting with one meditation for five or 10 minutes a day, okay, that's where you're starting, but gradually build that up over time. And then work on your generosity, whether it's in your personal life, your professional life, work on sharing your time, effort, energy, and resources, and doing that from the middle way. Whereas if you're longing and yearning and you're sharing excessively, you don't have what you need for your own necessities. But if you never shared and you were selfish, this isn't gonna help you either. So you need to find that middle way where you're sharing your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources. One of the things that I do is I donate blood. This is generosity, you're sharing the blood your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources. You can do those kinds of things. There's many number of different ways that you can practice generosity. So you need to work with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to gradually build up your practice to where you're practicing these things regularly and consistently on a long-term basis. Then what you would like to do to eliminate any specific fears is you would like to place the mind in the situation that it fears in order to desensitize the mind from whatever it fears. This trains the mind that there's nothing to fear. So for example, if I was afraid of spiders and I'm craving to never see a spider, I'm doing breathing mindfulness meditation, I'm doing the practice of generosity, but now you would like to put the mind in the situation that it fears and train it and desensitize it that there's nothing to fear. So what I would recommend for this person is that you look through some pictures, maybe in a magazine or on the internet, look at some different pictures of spiders and do that a few times. And you might feel the fear arise, but you're gonna need to cut that off and let it go. And over two, three, four times of doing this for maybe five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, eventually you'll get to the point where you can look at those pictures and you'll notice there's no fear whatsoever. So now you would like to increase your exposure that now you go into maybe a museum or some place that is preserved spiders. They're not alive, but they're preserved. You can still maybe see the hairs on their skin. You can maybe still see their eyes or something like this. And you start looking at these preserved spiders, right? And you might feel the fear come up. And again, you do this over a couple of sessions and you get to the point where you realize that you can look at these spiders and there's no fear whatsoever. And then you put the mind in an increasing amount of stimulation where now you might go to a place where spiders are alive, maybe a zoo, or maybe there's some place that has spiders, maybe just out in your backyard or maybe in the woods or something, right? Or under a cinder block in your backyard or something. And you start looking at spiders and you realize that they're not gonna attack you. They're not gonna bite you. They're not going to kill you. That if you're not causing harm, harm won't come to you. That if you understand the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, then you understand that if you're just looking at the spiders, you're not causing any harm to that spider and that spider isn't gonna come attack you and bite you and kill you or cause any harm to you. And now you can do this over multiple sessions where you desensitize the mind to these spiders and you understand that there's nothing that's gonna be harmful to you. Because at some point, the mind took on conditioning. It started clinging to the idea or to the notion or to the belief or the misperception that spiders are gonna hurt me or something of this nature. And now with the mind clinging to that as conditioning, whenever it sees these spiders, now it gets fearful. So that's the craving and the clinging in the mind. So what you're trying to do is replace this with 
positive experiences and realize that no, the spiders aren't gonna come hurt you. So this is one example with a spider. Let's talk about some others. Let's say that you're afraid of heights and you don't wanna go up on a ladder, you're not interested in going in tall buildings, that you just get really fearful in these situations. Well, what you should do is gradually work towards doing that. So you might go to a mall where there's maybe three, four, five, six levels, and you can walk up to the second level or take an escalator, an elevator or something, and you can walk around on the second level and you can look over the side. And if you get fearful of that, okay, maybe you do that a few times, and then at some point you end up leaving the mall, right? And then the next visit you do it again, and you notice there's less and less and less fear. And then eventually you might work your way up to the third floor, the fourth floor, the fifth floor, over a series of visits and you look over the side and you realize like, hey, there's nothing that's gonna harm me by being up high. Or maybe you go up on a ladder or maybe you go up on a playground or something like this or a stairway or an escalator or an elevator. You gradually increase the stimulus to train the mind that there's nothing to fear. Let's say you got in a car accident a really traumatic car accident and you come home from the hospital and now you're really afraid of going out into the car and you have these fears of going into the car. This is because the mind is having craving to not feel that pain of the car accident. That when you had that traumatic car accident, you feel a lot of pain and maybe you're in the hospital for three days, five days or a couple of weeks. And now your mind is associating driving in a car with pain and now it becomes fearful of driving in a car. So what you would like to do after you come home and you're settled in and so forth is as you build up the ability to go out into the world is take somebody that you trust, somebody that you know has your best interest at heart and now you go out into the car where you're in the passenger seat and they're in the driver's seat. And they maybe drive you around in the neighborhood on small streets, just getting you out for maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, just a short period of time to just go out in the car, drive around slowly and come back home and go in and feel comfortable. Like, okay, nothing happened, nothing bad happened here. And now maybe after you do that a few times and you notice you're not afraid of that, now you take somebody and ask them, you know, can you take me out on some busier streets? And now they take you out on some busier streets where you're just in the passenger seat. You're just along for the ride. And now you go out on these busier streets and you might notice your fear coming in because you've increased the stimulation. And now you do that several times going out into the busier streets. And now after you do that a few times, you notice your fear has subsided and that you're no longer experiencing fear with that. Now you might get into the car and you're driving and now you go in the neighborhood and you drive around and you come back and you do that until you don't have fear anymore. And then eventually you build up to going out on larger streets. And this is how you desensitize the mind to eliminate its craving that you no longer hold on to this conditioning that being in a car means pain and I'm going to be in a hospital. That's what the mind's clinging to. It's holding on. It's clinging to this. And you need to train the mind to let that go. And the way that you train the mind to let that craving and that clinging go is you put the mind into the situation that it's fearing and train the mind that there's absolutely nothing to fear and that as long as you're not causing harm, harm's not going to come to you. So this 
description that I gave you with the driving of the car, this might have been what you did when you were first learning to drive. When you were first learning to drive, you probably didn't hit the interstates the first day, I don't think. You probably drove around the neighborhood a little bit, got comfortable with that, and then you did that several times and you went on bigger and bigger streets as you moved forward. And this is what you would like to do because when you first get started, before you've ever driven, you might have a fear of driving if you've never driven before. And you slowly but surely increase the stimulus where you're driving on bigger and bigger streets. And now the mind is more and more comfortable. And that's what you would like to do with any and all fears because you can't push the spiders out of your life permanently. You can't push the snakes out of your life permanently. You can't push going up high places out of your life permanently. There are certain things that your mind might be fearing, including the fear of death, that you can't push this away, that every single one of us is going to die. It's only a matter of time that every single one of us are going to experience death. We've already experienced death many times in the past. And here we are again in this new existence and death is going to either sneak up on us and catch us when we're not aware of it, or we can confront death on our own terms. We can decide for ourselves that we would like to confront death. And this is how you eliminate your fear to death, is rather than allowing death to sneak up on you, what you do is you sit and you reflect and you confront death. You convince your mind that you've actually died and you sit down, maybe it's a 10, 15, 20 minute thing. You might close your eyes. You might envision that you've died, maybe in a car accident, maybe of cancer, maybe there was a, a, some other type of accident or something like this, who knows? Just come up with anything. You're not aspiring to die. You're not planning your death, but just convince your mind that you've actually died. Maybe there's been a nurse or a doctor or a police officer that has informed your family and be like a fly on a wall and that you're observing this and you're playing this out in your mind, including the funeral and everything else. You might grieve, you might cry, you might get sad. I know that I did when I did this for myself, maybe 20, 25 years ago, that you might experience grief as you do this because you're coming to terms with your own death and the mind doesn't typically like this. It's typically afraid of this. You might be afraid to actually even do this reflection. If you fear death, you might actually be afraid to reflect on your own death. But again, you can let it sneak up on you and catch you by surprise or you can train your mind to do this in this particular way, reflecting on your death. And now when you confront this, whatever you experience is what you experience. If it's fear, if it's sadness or what have you, so be it. And you do this over multiple sessions. You might need to space those out over a few weeks or a few months, you know, because you're going to need to gain your composure and get back to some peacefulness and some calmness and steadiness because it might shake you up for a little bit. So you might do it when you have, you know, a good amount of time to really sit with this. And if you need any help, you can always reach out for help and I will help you. But this is how you confront your own death and get to the point where over multiple sessions, you've confronted your death, you've played it out, you're not planning it out. You're just allowing the mind to experience this as if you have died. And now as you do that, this is confronting death and you get more and more comfortable with realizing that, yep, you're gonna die. Every single one of us are gonna die. That's the one thing that we're all required to do is everything else in life is optional. But with death, we're all required to die. We all are going to experience that at some point. And if you wait all the way up until that time, 
you're going to have a really difficult time with death because you're going to be holding on to all these different things in the world and you might be very fearful of death. But if you train your mind through the path to enlightenment and you train the mind to let go and you can get liberated in this life and you can eliminate your fear of death, by the time death comes, well, of course, here it comes. Of course, we knew this was going to happen. It's the universal truth of impermanence. It's no surprise. Death is here on my doorstep. Okay, it's time to die. Let's die, right? But if you're holding on to all these things in the world, relationships, possessions, different things like this, and you're afraid of death, then death is going to be very challenging for you. So you would like to be able to confront this and get the mind to the point where it's comfortable with its own death and it understands that this is going to happen and there's nothing you can do to change that. So by confronting it, you're making the mind get comfortable with it and confronting it on your terms when you're ready to do that rather than allowing it to sneak up on you. And this can even help you with other people too. You might be fearful of your children's death or you might be fearful of your partner's death or something like this, maybe your parents or grandparents. You can do the same thing. You can reflect on their death and this will help you get to a point where you're comfortable with it. Not that you're aspiring for it, but if it happens, then it happens. Because oftentimes the mind is very attached to our partners or our children or our parents or our brothers and sisters. And you can reflect on their death after you've done yours a few times and you get comfortable with your own death. You can do this for other people too envisioning that somebody has notified you of their death and then you're like a fly on a wall at their funeral and you play that out and you'll see that there might be fear that arises there might be sadness or grief but over a sequence of doing this over a series of sessions you can get very comfortable in understanding that all these beings around you are impermanent and they're going to die when i did this with my mother and my grandmother it was just me doing it, but I did it once with my mom and then I did that multiple times and did it with my grandmother multiple times. When I came out of the sessions, I realized that there were certain things that if they would have truly died that I never said to them and I wish I would have said to them. And there were certain things that I wish I would have asked them that I never got a chance to ask them about. So after I calmed down and I wasn't so sad, I just picked up the phone and I called grandma and I was like, grandma, I've always been meaning to share this with you or I've always been meaning to ask you about this. Same thing with my mom. And then after I did this multiple times, I cleared out everything that I ever felt like I needed to say to them or anything I ever felt like I needed to ask them. And I did this in my early 20s. So now all these years later, I feel like all this time is just bonus time because I've already convinced myself that they died in my own mind and I confronted that. So every time I've talked to them, every time I've spent time with them, every interaction, it just feels like a bonus that I've spent this time with them. And now there's nothing that I wish I would have said or wish that I would have heard from them. So when my mom died in 2017 and she called me, it was actually a very short conversation. She told me she was going to die and she only had a week to live. And I said, oh, mom, that's unfortunate. You know, thank you for everything. You know, I appreciate, you know, please, you know, be in peace or whatever I said along those lines. And she apologized for everything she ever did wrong. And I said, don't worry, you did the best that you could do. And we had some other little talk, but that was about it. And there was nothing that I needed to say to her. There was nothing that I wanted to hear from her. All that had already transpired 25 years ago. So you can get to the point where you don't grieve when somebody dies because it's not the love that's causing the grief 
and the pain and the sadness. And we talked about this when we talked about chapter 15 about true love, that love is this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And that's not what's causing the grief and the sadness at a funeral. It's the mind craving permanence. And you might be fearful of your mom or your dad or your life partner, or your children dying. And you're going to need to overcome that fear by eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. By putting your mind in the situation that it fears, you can train the mind to get comfortable with this. Not that you're aspiring to see spiders every day. Not that you're aspiring to go up high every day. Not that you're aspiring for your, your family members to die and pass away tomorrow. But you're training the mind that if these things occur, you can still maintain your contentedness and your peacefulness and your joy. So that if you've desensitized the mind to spiders, when you see a spider, you don't get all shaken up by it. It's just like, all right, there's a spider. Okay, what should I do? Okay, it seems like it's moving on out. Or maybe I need to pick it up and relocate it outside or whatever you end up doing. You can choose for yourself. Or if you do need to go up on a ladder or you do need to go up in a high building, okay, you can do that. No worries. You'll just go up in a high building and you've already desensitized the mind. You're not craving to be on the ground floor that you can go up into high spaces and not have fear or not have fear of snakes or automobiles or the fear of death. And this is what you do is you put the mind in the situation over multiple situations, multiple settings, multiple sessions, and you train the mind that there's nothing to fear and train the mind to let go. And this is how you liberate the mind from its craving, desires, attachments, and ultimately liberate the mind from the fear. So this is everything that I have to share with you guys on this topic, unless you guys have questions, because I teach to a certain level of detail, and then I let you guys ask questions if you'd like to go deeper into it. So if you have certain fears that you're not quite sure how to desensitize the mind or how to put the mind in these situations, you can share those fears and I will help you to see how to do this. Or if you're starting to understand how to do this and you'd like to maybe you know, run something past me and say, hey, David, here's my fear. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. Does that sound like it would work? Or do you have anything to contribute to this? So you're welcome to ask questions about the content that I shared. You're welcome to share your fears and put together a plan on different fears. You can talk about anything that you would like. You can ask those questions through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. I see Christine has her hand up. If you'd like to go ahead and ask your question, Christine. Thank you, teacher David, for this really uh, interesting class. Um, so yeah, I'm actually doing this uh, contemplation on death and I'm confronted with the fear of not having the mind anymore. I, I don't know how to best explain this. It's, it's like maybe a fear of nothingness but also somewhat a, a fear of the unknown, which kind of doesn't really go together because if, if there's nothing, there's nothing unknown either. But it, I think it's something, it's probably at the end, it's, it's nothingness that's making my life really hard. And also, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it here for now. Okay. Yeah, you know, the mind is holding on to so many different things that when you start training it to let go, it really doesn't like it. 
oftentimes the mind will revolt. Uh, it will sometimes run and hide. It will fight you. Uh, it will try to go hide in the corner and pout and be sad and all these other things. It will try to convince you that you don't need to do this. It will give you all this justification of why you're just wrong for going down this path. Because the unenlightened mind wants to hold on. It doesn't want to let go. And it's going to find all these justifications of why you shouldn't do this or why you shouldn't do that and like i said it just wants to fight you sometimes or it just wants to run and you're like the adult in the room and saying no mrs mind or mr mind i'm not gonna let you do that you know you get over here and get some training and sometimes you need to coax it a little bit so the mind is holding on to so many different things it oftentimes doesn't want to let go and you just need to be the adult in the room and say, no, you're going to get some training. And remember, you can throttle this, right? You don't have to just go, 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 go and push, 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 because that would be craving, desire, attachment if you were, you know, pushing yourself really hard on the path to enlightenment. So you do a little bit of work and then you, you know, integrate those teachings into your life. You do a little bit of work and you integrate those teachings in your life. This is why sometimes you'll see students pop in and they might take two or three classes and then you don't see them for a little while. And then they'll pop in, take a few classes and they'll step out for a little while. And that's why I recommend for people to read this book about 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, just taking little bits and bites because it's like, eating you would like to take smaller bites because then it's easier to chew and easier to digest so as the mind is starting to revolt and fight you or run or hide or go in the corner and pout or whatever just understand that that's all impermanent and the mind's going to want to try to do all these antics to try to get away from its training because the unenlightened mind is like a wild animal it wants to be a wild animal it wants to stay in the forest and run around and frolic and be a wild animal and you show up you're like the animal tamer and the wild animals all run as soon as they see the animal tamer come like they all bolt they're like i'm out of here i'm not going anywhere near that person so you're like the animal tamer trying to coax these wild animals to come on in you know get some training it's okay you'll be fine and you just gradually slowly but surely do this because with the mind craving permanence being uncomfortable with impermanence the mind being uncomfortable with change if you can make those changes just slow and steady and just little tiny increments it's almost like the mind doesn't realize what you're doing where oftentimes when you're trying to take these real big steps forward the mind revolts and fights you more with that so if you just take little tiny itsy bitsy bites of the book or these classes or building up your meditation practice or any of these other things and you just make little tiny incremental improvements and changes the mind will oftentimes digest this better and it'll be more comfortable with it rather than taking real big abrupt changes thank you very much teacher david is yes. there any way to make the mind comfortable with nothingness or is this just something i have to um, gradually and over time uh, expose myself to this idea of nothingness. What do you think is nothingness? What is your description of that? It's kind of uh, the mind stops functioning. Okay. And the body stops. So is that death? And then, then? it's just no thinking anymore. There's no 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 <laughs> no me anymore. Okay. Um. So is this related to eliminating personal existence view and realizing non-self? I, I, I guess so. I, I only noticed it when I was uh, saying it out loud, but yeah, it got to be. Okay. So 
that meditation that I teach to realize non-self, when you're doing that, it can feel like you're walking off the edge of a cliff because the mind is like holding on to this self-image and self-identity and it's been doing that for so long in our life and we think we know who we are and we're starting to let this go and peel this away and it can feel like you're walking off the side of a cliff and you're just going to drop and plop. So if that's the way you're feeling and you're having fear with that, you're doing the meditation properly and you're working to eliminate personal existence view. This is what someone's going to experience as they're letting go of personal existence view to realize that self. They're going to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm letting go of everything. I've got to hold on to something. I feel like I'm walking off the edge of a cliff. And if this is what you're experiencing, then you're moving in the right direction. But you just need to have the confidence that that's not going to happen. That the mind is just grasping and longing and yearning and trying to hold on to the self-image and self-identity. And as long as you allow the mind to keep doing that, it's going to keep experiencing this. So what you do is you kind of like move the mind up to a point where, okay, you're moving towards eliminating personal existence view. And you're starting to feel a bit uncomfortable with letting go of the personal existence view, that self-image and self-identity. And you just push it a little bit more and kind of move the envelope and then if that's where you're feeling uncomfortable, then you just stay there and you just stay there a little bit. And you might even need to throttle it back a little bit. And then maybe you wait a week or two or so. And now you kind of throttle it up again and you push it some more and you push the envelope a little bit more to a little bit more uncomfortable. I'm having a hard time. Okay. Yeah, I hear your Internet's uh, breaking up a little bit, too. I don't know if it's your side or my side. Can you hear me now, Christine? Yeah, we're both in Thailand, so our internet isn't necessarily always stable. It's a little bit more unstable, I think. Yes, here. now I'm again. Okay, so what I was sharing is that you work with that meditation and realizing non-self, and you take it up to a point where you're noticing yeah, some, some uncomfortableness. Yeah, you notice that uncomfortableness, and then you throttle it back a little bit, and you wait a little bit of time, let the mind adjust and gain some stability. And then you push it a little bit further and take it outside of its comfort zone. And then when it's experiencing that, then you throttle it back a little bit. And you just keep moving the envelope forward and gradually moving into it and then gradually moving out and gradually moving in and each time going a little bit further. Like I mentioned, it's going to feel like you're walking off of a cliff, but this is normal and it means that you're headed in the right direction. All right. So it looks like, oh, Christine, you have something else? Thank you very much. This was really insightful okay seems good. like there's a time lapse between um me talking mm -hmm. you're talking so i'm gonna mute myself now thank you very much okay you're welcome thanks for your question looks like joe has a question as well go ahead joe um well i've had a lot of fears in my life uh but i'm wondering about fear and like survival you know and, and you know, could be considered a mechanism, survival mechanism, I guess. Um, but is that just a lack of knowledge, you know, or, you know, like, you know, I go hiking a lot and, you know, they're in the back of my mind, you know, is a mountain lion going to tackle me from behind? Maybe. <laughs> but with that knowledge, should I just not be there and then I'm not fearing, you know, because there's more than one way to eliminate fears. Because if I'm not there, obviously, I'm not going to be attacked by a mountain lion. Um, mm -hmm. And so I know that. Or 
do you just accept the fact that maybe mountain lion does take you out and you're okay with it? <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, this is, might be like a, I don't know, simplify it for me or, you know. Do you think this is a fear of death or is it a fear of the mountain lion itself? I don't know. It's more of a fear of being ripped apart by a mountain lion, you know? What if it was the a, actual act of it? <laughs> so is so is it the fear of the pain of being ripped apart? Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So if it was a bear or a mountain lion, it wouldn't matter. It, it's still the same no. fear. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I definitely suggest that you do the reflection on death that I mentioned. That's going to help you. Whatever whatever point you decide that it's the right time for you, now may or may not be that time. Based on what's going on in your life, you need to decide that for yourself. But over a period of time, and Christine has done this a few times, and that's why she's experiencing some of the uncomfortableness and her mind maybe is not letting go because she's pushing the envelope, right? She's moving the mind into places where it's not comfortable and she's training the mind to be comfortable. So you'll need to decide when's the right time for you to go through some uncomfortableness. You know, you have to walk through the fire to appreciate the fresh air on the other side. I kind of mentioned this at different times in my teaching, and this is kind of what it feels like sometimes to let go of some of these cravings, desires, attachments, where the mind just doesn't want to let go. So I definitely recommend that you do that reflection and see how you feel with that. And then when you have that fear of mountain lions or being ripped apart by bears or what have you, you know, you can also go into the forest. And that fear is because of the craving desire attachment, but there's a real concern there potentially, right? So you might decide if you're walking in a pretty densely populated area with wildlife that you might decide to take some protection. And there's protection in different forms, right? There's sticks, there's bear spray, there's different things that people will take with them. And it doesn't mean that you're scared or you're fearful to take those things. It might just be a wise decision. But if there is fear there, which it sounds like there is, you need to let go of the cravings, desires, attachments. And if that's craving to live and to life, it doesn't mean you want to die, right? And we think, okay, if I'm not craving to live, then that means I must want to die. No, those are two opposite sides of the spectrum. What you're looking to do is come to the middle where you understand that death is going to occur. And whenever that comes, however it comes, you can be completely peaceful and joyful with that. And of course, you would like to still make wise decisions in your life so that death doesn't come sooner rather than later. So when you go across the street, you're going to look both ways before you walk across the street. You're not aspiring to die, but you're not craving to live. And you're not craving to die either. You're not craving existence and you're not craving non-existence. The Buddha talks about this. You would like to come to the middle where you're now making wise decisions about your life. Do I go out at dusk or dawn or do I go out late at night? Maybe not. Maybe I go out in the middle of the day when animals aren't typically roaming around. Maybe I take some kind of protection with me. Maybe I make some noise as I'm walking through the forest so that any animals get scared away. That's what I used to do when I would hike. I would kind of call out and be like, hey, bear, hey, hey, bear. I would walk in the mountains a lot, right? And I would kind of like just say it every once in a while on my hike to kind of scare away any, any animals. So you can do the reflection on death and then you can also go out into the forest and train the mind that nothing's going to harm you. And 
at that same time, you can just make wise decisions. So that when I was walking through the forest and calling out to the bears, I wasn't scared that they were going to attack me, but I was making wise decisions to ensure that I just make my presence known and that that way I don't run into a situation where they do attack me. So I wasn't craving to die, but I wasn't craving to live either. I was just making wise decisions about going out into the forest and training the mind to be comfortable in that environment. So you can do those kinds of things. And remember, it's gonna need to happen over multiple sessions. It's not gonna be just one time and then your mind's gonna completely eliminate this craving desire attachment. You'll need to do the reflection on death multiple times, most likely, and you'll need to go out into the forest multiple times and understand that you're not going to meet your demise, that it's very rare that a mountain lion or a bear is going to attack a human and the person die from that. It's very rare that those kind of things happen. So you need to just desensitize the mind to the fear of that by eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. Put the mind in the situation that it fears and desensitize it from that. Okay. Yeah, I go all, hiking all the time. Well, I spend a lot of time outside, and usually it is dusk or dull. Those are my favorite times to go out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I'm doing it all the time. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself out there, and, you know, I have the whole life um, in, you know, pretty remote places. Um, but, yeah, but that feeling is always there. So that part hasn't improved. Um, so maybe I need to, you know, work on the other half. Mm-hmm. Maybe even maybe even go out in the forest and do your reflection on death while you're in the forest. That could really heighten the sensitivity, right? So you might be interested to do that a few times at home first where you're in a safe environment. But ultimately, as you get comfortable with death, maybe even going out into the forest in these remote locations and doing it there too, this will really desensitize the mind. Because each time you do it and you come home safely, this shows the mind like, hey, there's nothing to fear here. You're trying to let go of that conditioning that the mind's holding on to. And you're trying to let go of that craving, desire, attachment. And by each experience of doing these kinds of things, that's what helps the mind to gain this calmness and composure and realize that there's nothing dramatic that's going to happen to you in these situations. Okay. I'll work on that. And I had another question. Sure. Um, and this, yeah. I'm not sure if this relates to fear uh, or not. Um, it might just be an attachment. Um, but usually, if I when I go to bed, um, generally speaking, my mind automatically plays out. You know, one of my family members, you know, being you know hurt or something like that. And it could be me. It could be all of us in a scenario. You know, maybe I'm. You know, well, I don't watch TV, but so I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it could be in any situation, you know, one of my kids or, you know, Adela or me is getting hurt and, you know, or killed. Um, and, maybe, you know, I, and that's almost every night and it's an automatic thing. And usually I'll catch it midway through and say, okay, you know, that's enough of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go to sleep. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it okay. doesn't feel good, I'll say that. Yeah, if your mind's experiencing fear like that, what's causing it, Joe? Well, attachment to you know, life, basically. Right. Life. 
and attached to your partner and attached to your children, right? So you're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong. This is just what the unenlightened mind does is it's attached. And usually your life partner, your children, your parents, these are people that the mind is typically attached to the most, even your siblings and stuff like this. So oftentimes these are like deeply held attachments. So doing the reflection on your own death and getting comfortable with your own death and then reflecting on that with your life partner and even your children, which oftentimes parents find very challenging. And more likely than not, your children are not gonna die before you, but you would like to train your mind with this and it's gonna help you eliminate your attachment. It's not that you're aspiring for these people to die, but it's helping you to be comfortable with impermanence. And you'll find that all parts of your life will improve. So like when I did this with my mom and my grandmother and my mind reflecting on their death, I noticed that my relationships with them drastically improved because I was no longer attached to them. I found that I talked to them better. I spent time around them differently because I had convinced my mind that they had died. So now all this bonus time that I was getting with them, I really appreciated it and I really valued it. And I really made sure that each time that I spent time with them, it was a really healthy interaction. So it sounds like you're going to need to do that with your life partner and your children as well, because that fear you're experiencing is the attachment that you have to them. So you brought up something really important that I would like to share with everybody that I've taught in other classes, that not only is there breathing mindfulness meditation to help you generally to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, not only is there generosity, not only is there what I just shared with you about putting your mind into situation to desensitize the mind, but there's also this ability that as you're learning more and more about the four foundations of mindfulness, that right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, that mental discipline section of the Eightfold Path, is that whenever any discontentedness is arising in your mind, you should cut it off and let it go. Whether it's in daily life or it's outside of meditation, that this is what you're training for, that when you're in meditation and you're training the mind to let go, this is very beneficial for you in daily life so that as you're out and about, if you're walking in the woods or you're just driving in a car or like what Joe was saying when he was going to sleep at night, a fear rises in his mind that something's going to happen to his wife or his kids. And he says he, he cuts that off and just like, no, I'm not going to allow you to think that way. That's exactly what you would like to do. And the more you do that, eventually the mind will eliminate its craving and it won't have that fear. That fear won't arise. So what you're doing in that situation, Joe, and what I encourage everybody to do is you're restraining the mind. You're restraining it. You're pulling it back and you're retraining the mind because the mind is wired with these cravings, desires, attachments. And when you're getting ready to go to bed, it's wired that this fear is going to arise. And what you're doing, Joe, is you're saying, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to restrain you. And now I'm going to retrain you to no longer do that. And it's going to take some time for you to do this. But over a, a consistent long-term period, you'll eventually get to the point where you'll be able to go to bed and you won't experience that fear before going to bed because you would have eliminated your attachment to your life partner and to your children. And it's just going to take you time to do this. So remember that that's always a wise choice that as you're noticing any discontentedness arising, cut it off and let it go. And you would like to catch that sooner and sooner as a bodily sensation. So just like with all the other discontent feelings, I taught you guys the four foundations of mindfulness of bodily sensations, feelings, 
the condition of the mind and the mental objects. These are the four foundations of mindfulness. This is what your mind needs to become aware of, that prior to any discontentedness, including fears, there's going to be some bodily sensation that's coming up, and you like to cut it off and let it go there. And you may or may not be able to do that depending on where you are in your training, but more and more you would like to get more aware of those bodily sensations sooner and sooner and cut them off easier and easier. If it does become a feeling in the mind, you can still cut it off and redirect the mind from there. And that's restraining the mind and retraining the mind. Same thing with the bodily sensations. That's restraining the mind and retraining it. Because if you miss it as a bodily sensation, it's going to become a feeling. And now it's going to affect the condition of your mind for a couple of hours or a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And it feeds these mental objects. That's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So Joe, it sounds like you're either catching it as a bodily sensation or you're catching it as a feeling and you're cutting it off and letting it go. And this is exactly what you would like to do. The Buddha calls this dismantling discontentedness. And he says, if you're in the habit of dismantling discontentedness, then enlightenment is nearby, that you're, you're essentially working towards enlightenment because you're dismantling this discontentedness. You're not allowing the mind to experience this discontentedness. You're rewiring the mind. You're not allowing it to have that conditioned feeling. And over time, as you restrain the mind many times like this, and you're retraining it, eventually it'll get to the point where it will no longer have those conditioned feelings. Sure. Yeah, thank you. And I should note that, yeah, I mean, it used to be, you know, a couple of years ago, it was every day, you know, just like that. Lay down, you know, same routine. Um, and it might go on, well, and then, you know, I'll just fall asleep being so tired. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it improved once I started. Well, there was, you know, a period of where marijuana use, you know, and I wouldn't condone that. You know, and I wasn't using it for that, but that would help me go to sleep. Um, but that's not a great option. Um, but then after that, you know, meditation and that sort of thing really did help. Um, almost eliminated. Um, but it did come back recently, you know, because we discussed it. My meditation practice kind of slowed down a little bit um, recently. So I think that kind of crept back up where it has been. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is common. As you're eliminating cravings, desires, attachments, they kind of flicker. It's just like as you're making your way to enlightenment, you start getting these glimpses of what enlightenment is like, where the mind can be peaceful and joyful for a few hours or a few days or a week or two or even a couple of months. And then boom, some discontentedness comes in. As you're getting closer and closer to enlightenment, the light bulb's flickering and you're getting these glimpses of what enlightenment's like before the light's fully on. And when you're extinguishing craving, desires, attachments, it's the same way. They kind of flicker. It's kind of like a candle going out. It kind of flickers, it flickers, it flickers, it flickers, and then it might think it's out for a couple of seconds, and then boom, it comes back on. The cravings are the same way. So you can experience the fear arising pretty readily, pretty consistently, and now you're actively working with the mind to eliminate it. And then it can go away for a period of time, maybe a few days or a few weeks or even a month or so. And then boom, here it comes again because the craving, the attachment isn't fully eliminated. It's not fully extinguished. So in those situations, you just keep doing what you did that led to the elimination, which is 
the breathing mindfulness meditation, the generosity, the putting the mind in the situation that it finds fearful if it's a fear, and where you're noticing the discontentedness arising, you cut it off and let it go as a bodily sensation or as a feeling or condition of the mind, wherever you observe it, you cut it off and let it go. And then eventually you get to the point where what the Buddha describes is you've destroyed the fetter. You know, you've completely eliminated it. You know, I think about it like taking a rag that has water in it and you're wringing out the rag and you like to wring it out, get every last little drop of the craving, desire, attachment out of the mind. And you'll see that sometimes they will spark back up like that. This is common. So they can go dormant for a period of time and then they can spark back up. And you might even think that the craving is gone and then boom, it pops up after a few months and shows you like, hey, it's not gone yet. And then you just get back into it and you're like, all right, let me just keep with my breathing mindfulness meditation, keep with my generosity, keep cutting off those discontent feelings and accumulating all the benefits to the point where eventually you don't see any discontentedness arising associated with that craving because you've eliminated that craving out of the mind. All right. So thank you, Joe. It looks like we have some questions here. Yeah, you're welcome. Looks like we have some questions here on YouTube. I see, Christine, you have your hand up as well. Let me answer some of these questions on YouTube and then we'll come back to you, Christine. So here we have a comment says, hello, teacher David, thank you for this explanation. How would one handle the example of fear of people's opinions or fear of someone being degrading? I feel like reflecting on this could potentially shift into morbid reflection. So. It's important to understand what's causing this, right? We know it's craving, desire, attachment, but there's a specific fetter. There's a specific pollution or taint in the mind that the Buddha described that's causing this. This is what's called personal existence view. And the solution to this is to realize non-self, where you've let go of the self-image and the self-identity, thinking that this body or this mind is who you are, because that's what's going to cause that fear to arise of other people's opinions that the mind is craving to be perceived in the world in a certain way and if you're perceived in a favorable way perhaps you feel happy about that but if somebody's degrading or diminishing to you then perhaps you're fearful of how you're perceived in the world so one of the first things to do is to ensure that you purify your moral conduct that your intentions, your speech, and your actions, that you are never being degrading or diminishing to others. Because if you're degrading and diminishing to others, that's gonna come back to you. So you need to ensure that you purify your own moral conduct, that you're not being degrading or diminishing to others. This is gonna help you tremendously. But then you'll need to more deeply understand what personal existence view is, and you'll need to understand the solution to that, which is the universal truth of non-self. And you can find these in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. You can download this for free from our website. You can take it and go print it, or you can order it on Amazon if you like. In chapter four, you'll find details on this, and you'll find it in chapter 16 as well. And this is where I go into a lot of detail. In fact, last week, I just taught a class on eliminating personal existence view, and it's been recorded. So you can see it on Facebook, on YouTube, or on the podcast, and you can see that class because you're going to need to understand that really deeply. And then after you understand that and you're starting to move this into practice more and more, part of eliminating this is yes the mind needs to go into that situation whether you reflect on it and 
convince the mind that these bad things have been said about you. That's one way to do it. But also, if you're in situations where people are being degrading and diminishing, use that as an opportunity to train the mind to be peaceful and calm and content and not be shaken up by what other people say. Because as long as you think that this body or this mind is you, when you hear something degrading, like if somebody says, all Americans are blah, 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 and they're degrading and diminishing, if I am an American, now they're talking about me and now you are going to feel bad about that and and you might potentially have fear of people talking that way well i know this mind of david knows that this body was born in america but this mind doesn't identify with i am an american i've let that go so now if somebody says something wonderful about americans i might just say oh okay that's interesting you know that's interesting that they're saying that or it might not say anything at all it might just smile Um, but if somebody says something degrading or diminishing about americans i am not an american in terms of my mind i know that this body was born there but the mind doesn't identify that way so that when this person says a degrading thing about americans or you see it on the news or something like this i don't identify with that so they're not talking about me because that's not me, that's not who I am. So you'll need to understand personal existence view, realizing non-self, and you're gonna need to digest those teachings in the class that I taught about that. And then it's a matter of experiencing enough of these situations that as there's any fear that arises that you cut it off and let it go. And then remember cleaning up your moral conduct, ensuring that you're not being degrading or diminishing to anyone, because otherwise that's gonna come back to you. Here's another question question there's a few here from the same individual on youtube it says i also have a fear of other people's conditioned feelings they like me if when or dislike me if when i feel this could be tied to personal existence view yes absolutely that's the same exact thing so what i've described already will improve that something i will say here though is that sometimes when somebody were attached to If your mind is attached to them, you might crave for them to always be peaceful or you might crave for them to always be happy. And then when somebody else is sad or they're frustrated, you might be sad or frustrated because if you want your mom to always be happy and you see her sad, you might be sad. Or if your life partner or your children or somebody else in your life, if you have a craving for them to always be happy and you see them be sad, you might end up being sad. And this is because of your own attachment to them. So you're going to need to understand that it's not possible for other people to be permanently happy or peaceful. And I know you didn't ask this type of question, but your question kind of spurred this thought because this is a common one that a lot of people have when you have an attachment to a person you can be attached to their peacefulness or their happiness if my life partner's happy i'll be happy if my children are happy i'll be happy but the problem is that they can't be permanently happy right as long as they're unenlightened they can't be permanently happy and if you're basing your inner feelings on whether they're happy or not then that means your mind's going to go up and down and up and down. So by training your mind to let go of any kind of attachments to individuals and people, you can still have a relationship with them. You can still be in a loving, caring, wonderful relationship, but you just don't have an attachment to them. And here's another one from the same person. I also know if I'm afraid of other people's conditioned feelings, I have my own to contend with. 
I'm continuing to work on my own, will the rest fade away as I continue to go through my trash pile? Okay, I think this is Allison, actually. I, I can't see the, the photo, but this sounds like Allison, perhaps. I see the, the name there. So as you continue to work on eliminating your cravings, desires, attachments, then yes, this will help you to eliminate your own feelings, your own conditioned feelings, right? But remember, nothing on this path just happens automatically. There's nothing that's just going to automatically fluff away from the mind or just automatically be released from the mind. You need to actively be involved to eliminate the cravings, desires, attachments. And that's why that breathing mindfulness meditation is there with generalized training. The generosity is there for that. Putting your mind actively in certain situations to train it to let go. And then when you're noticing that any kind of discontentedness is arising is to cut it off and let it go. So when you're actively working like this, not allowing the mind to be complacent, then yes, these will fade away. But it's not going to happen automatically that you're actively taking the role to put the mind in the situation where you're eliminating the cravings, desires, attachments. And be active with it. Don't allow the mind to be complacent. Okay, I see Allison saying, yes, this is her. Okay, you're welcome, Allison. Pleased to help you. All right, so let's go to Christine in Zoom. It looks like you have a question. Yes, thank you, Teacher David. Um, so the thing is, um, I experience fear if, whenever before I do something new, like start a new job or go to a new place or, yeah, basically anything that's new and um, where I, I don't exactly know what's going to happen. I have fear and I, I guess it's some fear of unknown or, or some craving, desire, attachment to be able to know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, and yet I really don't know how to deal with this thing because it's, it's not even specific thoughts that are coming up in the mind. It's just tension in the body that's always there depending on what it's going to be already days before the event happens. Um, and for example, with traveling or changing location, I have been traveling so, 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 so much my life and it just doesn't go away at all. I've, mm -hmm. I've been, I've been living in several countries. I've been doing uh, many backpacking trips on my own to countries where you probably wouldn't even go as a woman, but, this fear is so strong, it just doesn't absolutely not want to go away at all. Okay, so in the past, you didn't have these tools and techniques and this wisdom that you're getting now from the teachings of the Buddha. So just because you went on all these trips in the past doesn't mean that it's going to result in improvements and benefits now. So now you're starting to practice the teachings in a more direct way because you're getting the true wisdom of the Buddha and helping you to actively train your mind. So that's great that you had all those experiences, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it built up to improvement or benefits because you weren't actively working with the mind the way that you are now. 
So now that you're actively working with the mind, using breathing mindfulness, meditation, generosity, you're starting to get those four foundations of mindfulness and cut off and cut off and cut off. You're starting to get more tools that you need to now, when you put the mind in these situations, you can more skillfully work to eliminate these cravings, desires, attachments. So what I would suggest for you is you put the mind in these situations because that's your fear is your fear to, of the unknown you're having this craving desire attachment to know what things are happening and how it's going to happen so when you go into a new situation the mind doesn't like this it's not comfortable and that's why the fear is arising so you would like to put the mind into multiple situations but now use the tools and techniques that you've learned that you can cut off and cut off and cut off and cut off so whether it's like using something like meetup.com or whether it's facebook events or just billboards in your local community where there's different events even if you're not even remotely interested in the event as you have time it would be really wise to just show up to these different events and different things and there's new people there there's people you've never met before even if you're only going to go one time just go one time and experience these events and put the mind in situations that are completely new and different and it doesn't have to be a long backpacking trip it can just be like a one hour meeting or get together or hour and a half two hours here and there Different communities usually have these little meetups and stuff, and you can just pop into these, you know, a couple of them each week until the mind gets to a point where, like, you just have no clue what you're even showing up to. You're just showing up to it, and whatever happens, happens. No expectations. And eliminating that personal existence view will help because sometimes showing up to something new, the mind can be fearful of how people are gonna perceive you. So if you have craving, desire, attachment to be perceived a certain way, showing up to something new where there's people you don't know, the mind can have fear because of that. So getting rid of that personal existence view like you're talking about will help and will help you move in that direction. But also just putting the mind into new experience after new experience after new experience and don't even give it a chance to get this, what are you doing at this event? How are you doing it? What are you guys going to do? What are you going to do first? What are you going to do second? Like reading the agenda and trying to actively figure out exactly what's going to happen at this event. Just look at the event, know the location, know the time, and just show up. And you're the adult in the room telling the mind like, hey, I'm not going to give you all this advance notice of what's happening at these events. I'm just going to take you to this event and you're going to have to train yourself to be peaceful and joyful. Your mind's like, no, I don't want to go. I'm so afraid. I don't care. You're going. Let's go. Come on, pull up your boots, put on your pants. Let's go. And, and we're going to this event. And you do that over repeated sessions. And this is how you desensitize the mind and don't give it a chance to grasp on to the agenda and the plan and all this other stuff and try to figure that out. It's just keep putting the mind in situation after situation. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable and the mind's not going to like it and it might fight you. It might be resistant. But the more you do this, the more comfortable the mind will become with it. Thank you, teacher David. This sounds exactly what I absolutely do not want to do, but it's it's a really uh, good idea to actually do that. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, the mind's not going to want to do it, and that's how you know it's the right thing. Because if the mind wants to hold on to being at home and never go out into these events, it's like, no, I don't want to go. Keep me here, please. Right? The mind throws like a temper tantrum, and you're the adult in the room and saying, nope. We're going to go over here to this new event. And yeah, you probably aren't going to like it. And that's okay. And you're probably going to feel uncomfortable. 
and that's okay. But we're gonna go over here and we're gonna do some training. And even if you stay there for five, 10, 15 minutes, it's okay. Just stay there for however long you can. And when it gets to be too intense, then you walk away and you leave, right? And you're doing this on your terms. Nobody's forcing you to do it. It's your terms. So if you can stay there the whole event, great. But if 10, 15, 20 minutes in, it's too intense, you're too uncomfortable, and you've gotta leave, then leave. And then each time you go to these types of events, try to elongate the time more and more that you're there and get the mind to the point where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy no matter what you experience. An enlightened being can go into any experience whatsoever and be comfortable. It's gonna choose wisely what experience it goes into like it's not gonna to go to a, a drug den or a gambling den or a brothel or a place where they're selling illicit drugs or weapons or things like this. And enlightened means gonna make wise choices about where they're going. But if they happen to make a wrong turn and they show up in one of those places, they're not gonna be discontent with having showed up in one of those places. They can still maintain their peacefulness and joy. Then they're just gonna make wise decisions that, oh, it's not wise for me to be in an opium den. You know, I should probably leave out of here. And you're gonna turn around and you're gonna leave, but you're not gonna be discontent about having happened into this place. Thank you very much. All right, you're welcome. I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. I'm just seeing uh, all the same comments and, and questions. Let's see, let me check this one more. Okay. Yeah, I don't see any more comments or questions anywhere. So what I'll do then is I will just end class by thanking all of you guys for joining. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your dedication and diligence to study. I'm sure that some of you guys are studying before class or after class. You're reading the books. You're maybe watching the videos or the classes from other times where I've been teaching these similar teachings. As we go here, we've only got about another two months or so, and we're going to be finished with this iteration of the group learning program. You can see the entire schedule. It's posted on the internet. And then we're going to eventually be restarting this from the very beginning. So you're going to have the option to restart and go from the very beginning and go through the group learning program, learning it again, absorbing more and more things as you go. Or you can actually move into the Pali Canon and English study group and start learning in there, which is on Saturdays. It's up to you what you might choose to do. But continuing to learn and continuing to grow is really ideal. Some people might even choose to step back for a little bit and just kind of put into place the different teachings that you have learned in this program and maybe get some personal guidance here and there. It's really up to you. It's your journey to enlightenment. But keep in mind that we have the online programs. We have the classes, courses, and retreats here in Thailand. And there's lots of books and audiobooks and podcasts and videos and other things like this for you to learn. Because as you spend time dedicated to learning and practicing, then you'll see that more and more improvements to the condition of your mind. And I really admire people who decide that they would like to do this work because it's challenging as you're hearing from Christine and some other people. You know, it's really challenging to do this work. And I really admire people who step up and, you know, go forward with doing that work because it is challenging at times. And it can be really fun at times too, right? It's not all, you know, just really difficult work, but there is a certain challenge to it. And if you're meeting that challenge, I really admire that. I really 
think that that's a really great quality of somebody who's willing to do this work on their own mind because it benefits you, it benefits all those close to you, and it benefits all of humanity as you make these improvements. And eliminating your fears is absolutely outstanding because not only can you do this for yourself, you can do this for other people around you too. That there was a time when my son was afraid of the dark and I was able to help him to get to the point where he wasn't afraid of the dark anymore by using these same techniques. You know, I took him into a bathroom and we went in there where there wasn't really any windows and I let him turn off the light a few times and we sat there for a few seconds and he turned the light back on and he turned it off and turned it back on and then I did it for a little while and then there were some other things that we did where eventually he got to the point where he wasn't afraid of the dark. So not only can you apply these techniques for yourself, you can share them with your loved ones and people that are around you, your children, your life partner. And this can be really enjoyable part of learning these teachings is that you can see that you can help your children to get liberated from certain fears that they have because you'll know the answers of how to do it because you've done it for yourself too. So the more that you learn and practice these teachings and you gain the wisdom for yourself, you then will have the ability to share it with other people as their mind is open to learning it and understanding it. So thank you all for your dedication and your diligence to learning these teachings and applying them in your life. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 18, which is titled God's Creative Action, You Have Free Will. This is a chapter where you're going to start to understand about God. There's no requirement for you to have a relationship with God in order to get to enlightenment. If people would like to have a relationship with God, they can, and there's a way to get to enlightenment and still maintain that relationship. But you're going to need to understand certain things to be able to be liberated from things like your fear. If you have fear of God, you're going to need to learn how to liberate your mind from that. Or if you pray and you're always wanting things from God, or if you think God's punishing you or rewarding you, or if you think God's controlling things. So we're going to be talking about all these different things that if you would like to maintain a relationship with God and still get to enlightenment, you can. And then also part of that class, I'm going to be teaching you if you have no interest in a relationship with God whatsoever, and that's not what you're interested in, I'm going to teach you how to get to enlightenment without a relationship with God too. Because God isn't the one who's giving you enlightenment. He's not the one who's granting you enlightenment. So your enlightenment is independent of God. If you would like to have a relationship with God and get to enlightenment, you can. And if you're not interested in a relationship with God, you can still get to enlightenment and not have a relationship with God. But there's certain things that you're going to need to understand, like not having anger and hatred and hostility towards this being. Because as long as you have that, then you have anger and ill will in your mind. And you're not going to be able to get to enlightenment. So I'm going to teach you both sides of this. If you'd like to have a relationship or you're not, and then it's your choice, whatever you'd like, because I can help you regardless. If you were interested in not having a relationship or you're interested in having a relationship, I can help you either way to be able to get to this enlightened mental state. And I'm going to share with you how to accomplish that in next Sunday's class. And if you can't make it for any reason, there's always the recording. And you can read the book either before class or after class on chapter 18. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together. So you're welcome to attend that class or listen to the recording because I'm going to be doing a little recap, a little refresh now that we're coming towards the end of the group learning program is making sure students understand the loving kindness meditation. And then we're going to actually be doing it together where we encourage, support and motivate each other and open up to any and all questions that you might have. So thank you all for joining for today's class. 
We'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely day. And next time we'll see you, we'll learn some more. Take care. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.